0: Hello and welcome to The Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Alan Scott. On today's episode, we're talking Hollywood health fads. Trust me, living here, you'll hear it all. I remember the first moment I was like, oh, people think of health very differently out here. I had just moved to Los Angeles and I had a cancer scare. Don't worry, I'm okay now. Anyway, while undergoing chemotherapy, people I'd meet would tell me that I should try juicing. In place of chemo apparently coconuts cure cancer or something it was wild anyway just so you know i stuck with the chemo and didn't go into juicing and well now i can say i am fully cancer-free thank you very much but that very early experience in hollywood solidified for me just how out of the box people on the west coast feel about health whether it's going crazy over a new weight loss miracle drug like ozempic driving deep into the desert to take ayahuasca with a shaman, or even naked yoga, out here, literally anything goes. And since we're on the subject, I wouldn't be a good journalist if I weren't transparent in the things that I have done. So, okay, yes, I've had some Botox, and maybe I've had a little filler here and there, and this this one's the biggie. I'm on Ozempic. I know, I know. Let me explain. Technically, I'm on Wagovi, the FDA-approved version of Ozempic for weight loss. And unlike many of the celebrities that I love so much, I am doing it on the advice of my doctor and because I've always struggled with my weight and got to a point post-pandemic where things had gotten a little out of hand. You see, obesity has always been sort of a looming shadow in my life. I was a heavy kid, I come from a heavy family, and I was an even heavier, larger adult. Then in my early 20s and 30s, I started to do things to unhealthily remain thin. The things you're probably imagining, I did. No need to go into detail. But when I stopped doing those things, the weight started to shoot up. I'd exercise and try to eat healthy, but nothing seemed to work. I knew my only options were something medical, either surgery or medicine. So I opted for medicine. And yes, something deep down excites me that I'm loosely connected to what some celebrities are allegedly doing. I mean... (laughs) Of course, I kid, but as a fan of the Kardashians, at least now I'll have something to talk to them about if we ever meet. But the Hollywood craze of Ozempic got me thinking about other health fads currently swirling through Hollywood and all over the West Coast. So today I'll be chatting with two people who know a thing or two about alternative health, if you will. From microdosing hallucinogenics to naked meditation in the woods as a male bonding exercise, we're going deep on this episode. To your
1: happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. VR
0: training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. My first guest is Thomas Fairman, who runs WILD, spelled W-Y-L-D. It's a three-day retreat for men. Essentially, what the retreat does is it strips men down, literally, you do it naked, and you go through a series of guided exercises and meditations in an effort for men to not only evolve, but mentally go forth in this new world so many of them find themselves in. What I love about Thomas is how comfortable he is, not just in being naked, which, like, as a fan of layering clothes, naked is certainly not my default, but more so how comfortable Thomas is in communicating the need for men to look at what it means to be a man now in this day and age, which, like, in a chaotic world of communications and cancelization and so much more, I think it's pretty clear that men, particularly straight white men, are currently navigating a different world than they have ever seen or were ever used to, And honestly, if spending three days naked in the woods isn't like so West Coast, I don't know what is. So, Thomas, I'm fascinated by what you do and how you do it because it's so (laughs) nothing that I would normally do, which is why I'm so fascinated by it. How did you get started with your retreats and wellness and the focus on specifically sort of men with families who are executives and entrepreneurs going on this retreat and like bonding naked in the woods.
1: (laughs) Well, it really started for me by living that life. I wasn't an executive by any means, but I was on a, I was working in tech. I was working in Silicon Valley. I didn't have a family yet, but I had a girlfriend who was, who was then my fiance working 60 hour weeks, 6am calls with Europe, 6pm calls with Australia, It was crazy. And I needed a way to not lose myself in that kind of environment and to stay calm and grounded and collected and just not go insane. And it began, I mean, I grew up, it's, there's so much that went into this. Like I grew up in Hawaii. I was born in California, but then I moved to Hawaii when I was nine years old. And from the time I was nine until I was 19 and graduated high school, I was surrounded by this lush natural beauty. There was like this giant hundred like, foot mango tree in our backyard. My mom would come in with like a bucket of mangoes and cut them up. And mm-hmm. we lived in nature so much. And yeah, I was always very physical. I played basketball in high school and, and then I moved to the Silicon Valley and got my electrical engineering degree and started working in tech. And very quickly, all of that childhood experience of being in nature and that physicality of basketball exited my life Mm -hmm. because i was so focused on growing my career and advancing my career and um i woke up one morning i was 24 and i had the worst back pain of my life i couldn't get out of bed in the morning i was just like oh my gosh what have i done to my body and i was frustrated i was pissed off i was like why the? you know have i have i lost it like have i destroyed my body what Mm -hmm. is happening i say that every day yes (laughs) you know yeah
0: yeah (laughs) What's so interesting about it I think is and what you do and how you got to this place is that it is very modern new agey kind of even hollywoody in a way sort of like getting the self the wellness and and focusing on the self care of sort of your own mind body soul all of the things and connecting them all it's very oprah in a way and uh-huh. it's uh-huh. what and that's what's so fascinating about it to me because it's so like I said at the beginning, the opposite of what I would ever do in terms of like, if I was trying to find myself, like if I'm trying to find myself, I go to a movie, but like, Mm. I don't think about going naked to the woods. So like, what does your retreat do for the men who participate in it? And also like, how did you get to a place of being comfortable enough
1: to do something like this? Mm. Oh yeah. I was not always this comfortable. I was yeah. not always like naked with a group of guys. What? Yeah. What are you telling me to do? Yeah. Why? Yeah. That
0: would definitely no, be a thanks. red flag for me. I mean, and that's coming from a Los Angeles homosexual. That would be a red flag for me. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. exactly. It's like very yeah. odd. Yeah. Very odd. But what it provides when you unplug completely from your day to day life, you go out to the woods to, nature there's no cell surface there's no wi-fi Mm -hmm. you literally cannot like you can barely use your phone you're just unplugged Mm -hmm. from all of the stimuli that normally that you normally experience Mm -hmm. because i i believe that we have sort of an inner genius that there's a, a part of ourselves especially in this day and age where we're surrounded by so much technology. We're constantly, you know, texting or messaging and mm-hmm. engaged in all these different platforms. We're so absorbed into all these things that it's easy to forget your own sense of self. Mm-hmm. And there's a balance between being able to engage with all of that. Like I'm by no means saying everybody should just like, you know, yeah. I mean, exit society. Exactly. But- I
0: mean, I found you through social media, so you clearly are. Like, you're participating in the machine that we should also escape from.
1: Right. And, but it's like, it's like, yeah, there's a balance. I think there's a balance of let's, let's work inside this machine, but let's also honor ourselves. And mm-hmm. so that's really the, what the retreat is about for me and for the people who come it's, it's about, okay, look, I need to take some, I need to take a time out. Like mm-hmm. I need to take three days and just un disconnect, mm-hmm. um, so that I can get back in touch with myself. Cause I don't even, I can't even hear myself. I'm so, absorbed in what everybody else is thinking and wanting from me. And I'm so bending over backwards. I meet with a lot of men who are just very giving, very like, I, you know, I'm doing this for my family and I'm doing this for this or that, or to make the money so that I can have the legacies so that I can, yeah. da, da, da. and then, but my body's suffering and I feel like I've lost myself that like, I hear that again and again from men. I feel like I've lost myself, my mm. sense of self, my purpose. Mm-hmm. And I want to reconnect with that.
0: That's yeah. I mean, And, that, and that's so interesting in a the, in the sense that, you know, in this sort of the world we live in now, I mean, there's a lot of people who talk about like the <laughs> the most dangerous thing to be right now is sort of like a, a straight man walking through the world because of the world we live in. And, and also that's, I think, a good thing in that there's been a leveling of the playing field for a lot of different types of marginalized communities to be able to. I'm talking queer, talking people mm-hmm. of color, women, et cetera to be able to have leadership roles. So I think it's fascinating that there's, that you're offering something specifically to men who might maybe rightfully. So I think in a lot of ways feel a little lost in terms of how they become the person. I wouldn't even say man. Cause I feel like we talked a lot about toxic masculinity and all of that, but to be the person that they should be for their families and in their communities and who they are and the new role that a man can
1: kind of be in this modern world in a lot of ways. Wouldn't I mean,
0: anything you want to say on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cause it is about like for them, if you're coming into this, you might not refer to yourself as, you know, you might refer to yourself as a man if you identify that way. Right. And so it is about for those men being the men that they want to be. And it's like, no, I don't want to be a dominating patriarchal, whatever the heck you know stepping on everybody and like i'm tired of doing that i'm tired of just dominating and excel at, like like i want to live a life of purpose i want to live a life of meaning i want to you know like contribute to society in a meaningful way at a time when men are being i mean you know again like you said there's there's lots of evidence for the why way they that, should be love the level playing field exactly why yeah why yeah. men are talked about the way they're talked about but at the same time it's like it's a symptom i think in part of men being out of touch with themselves and who they Mm -hmm. can be. Like a man doesn't have to be a certain way. A person, any person doesn't have to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're all discovering. And I think men, there's not a strong, like there's not like the, the banner carrying, like there's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, we're in pride month right now as we're recording this. And that's like, you know, there's no like men month. Right. Yeah. And I don't think there needs to be, but I think that men in this day and age, like it's time to come back and like return to once. Like I have a, Mm -hmm. I have a six month old daughter at home and uh, you know, she's my firstborn. So I have a firstborn daughter and uh, yeah. So you're on cloud nine. I'm I'm on cloud nine. I'm just so stoked. And it's like, who do I want to be for her? Yeah. What kind of, what kind of world do I want her to grow up in? And there's also something to be said about, I
0: mean, (laughs) if we talk about sort of the, the dominating role that men often play in many facets of our lives, be it, sometimes in workplaces, sometimes in positions of authority. I mean, every president's always been a man, like in society in general. There's nothing that will sort of like take down your armor more than being vulnerable and naked in the woods with a bunch of strangers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that to me is very Lord of the Flies sort of. Now there's a metaphor to be said that like by stripping down, you can become more powerful and all of the things. But I want to know what do you find people who participate in these retreats What do they leave going back into their regular lives? What do they take from these retreats? Mm,
1: Yeah. So just to point back to something you said about stripping down, like Mm -hmm. it is very disarming. Yeah. Like you're not in a position of power when you're naked. Like you're, you're the most vulnerable. You're you're the most vulnerable, right? You're stripping down. Like, and that's, it's symbolically that like, look, I've been having this facade of being the the macho man mm-hmm. and these men they don't have it all together like we don't like we're we're just you know we're just people you know, it's just people pimpling yeah. all yeah. over the place exactly and it's like you gotta drop the facade and when you drop the facade and you like let yourself be honest about where you are about your relationship with your body your relationship with your own health your own self with your life then it's it's humbling yeah and then you even if you have power it's like how do you use that power how do mm-hmm. you So men, men go back, I think, much more at peace and much more open. Like the men who I've, who have been on one of the retreats early in March, one of the common themes was, um, I feel more open. I feel more connected to people. Mm -hmm. And when you, that's, I feel more at peace. I feel a Zen like state Mm -hmm. as I go through my day-to-day life. Uh, that's the biggest and most consistent theme that I hear people get out of the retreats.
0: And do they ever come into a retreat? Uh, I'm sure unsure, but is there ever a level of just sort of being uncomfortable? And are there things that you do to sort of work through that? Because I mean, it's I think it's only natural to be I mean, I'm uncomfortable 24 seven usually. So like, is it any is it is there is there a a process you go through to help these men work through those feelings of being uncomfortable in a situation like this that then can maybe benefit them when they leave?
1: Oh, yeah. And that starts before the retreat even happens where we get on a call, something like this. We get on and we practice breathing, right? We practice getting in touch with the body because what are those sensations when we feel nervous, when you feel something? It's it's a sign from your body that and, and you can by using your breath you can calm a lot of those sensations that most of the time we just put up with and we just stress ourselves through life. Like I'm just going to grip my teeth and kind of get through it and take another cup of coffee and whatnot.
0: Um,
1: so, but there's definitely a level of discomfort for a lot of the men who are maybe never been in this kind of position before. And it's totally natural, but it's like, it is a process of growth. And so naturally you're going to hit these blocks and these like, Oh, I really don't want to do this, or I don't want to share that. And Mm -hmm. when you have, um, you know, a space that's, confidential a space that's very nurturing where everybody else is taking down their guards and that's kind of what brings you together mm-hmm. and we are all using these breathing techniques and these uh, movement practices to sort of get out of our heads because that's like so yeah. much of it is oh I'm just I'm anxious I'm like I, my mind is going 100 million miles a second I can't fall asleep I don't sleep well mm-hmm. and when you get breath and you start there, then everything falls into place. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, one of the, the great things I think about what you do is that in a way it's kind of like a roadmap for how men can be modern men, meaning that they don't have to be the mad men men and make all of the money and provide all, everything for the family. And it's okay to fail and it's okay to, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to mm. be the dude that 1960s America taught dudes to be, or not, not even 1960s, yeah. 1990s America taught dudes yeah. to be. And yeah. they can strip that armor literally in, in, in your case. But I wonder in doing this, because you work with a lot of guys, there must be, I mean, I, I feel it even just having conversations with some straight guys where just, I just feel like there's a wall there that just like they can't break down that, that wall of toxic masculinity and they can't, even just get through to sort of like a new idea of just like being chill, dude, just like be chill. Not everyone. You you don't have to be, you don't have to be on top of the pyramid all the time. Like it's fine. So like, do you ever work with, or do you ever find in any of the people you work with that there literally is a block in being able to push through some of those emotions?
1: Mm. Oh yeah. Cause that's, that's what you pointed to is exactly one of the cores of the issue. It's emotional Mm -hmm. expression. Mm hmm. And, and this is, I think, why we have men not using their power well Mm -hmm. and not, you know, this is why school shootings happen. This is why these things happen. These are emotions that are unable to be expressed because men have, they have not built that muscle of emotional intelligence and emotional expression. Mm -hmm.
0: Centuries men
1: have been taught that. Yes. Literally. It's in our, it's like in the fabric of our being. And it's, it's like, I mean, some people you know, from what I've understood, I'm not a scientist by any means or a biologist or anything, but there's a evolutionary, if you're a male Mm -hmm. physiologically, you have an inclination towards being able to endure physical hardship Yeah, and being more stoic. And if you're alpha, right. And if you're a female, you're nurturing the young, Mm -hmm. like that's a physiological thing where you have more emotional, resilience like an intelligence and ability to connect with your young because if you're taking care of them right in nature the the man is like oh you hurt yourself we got a mission to accomplish i got to go hunt we got to go bring this thing back to the cave yeah and there's this like hard exterior that's been programmed into men for you know millennia yeah and we're just starting to scratch the surface of, like, okay, well, what if you didn't have to be that way? Yeah, because the physiological
0: sort of just reality of biology and how we are the way the, are the way our bodies are, the way we evolutionarily evolutionarily we have grown to be the people that we are. Sure, those are traits that like might make certain person better or worse at a certain thing. However. It doesn't necessarily define not only the gender of the person in that body, but also it doesn't define how that person navigates the world. Because the person who might be biologically less apt to go hunting and climb a tree and run whatever might be the person who should be president of the United States and could be leading a war or could be doing the domineering Mm -hmm. things. And the person who can go doing all those hunting and things could also be at home taking care
1: of the kids. Totally. And that's, I love being able to be home with my daughter, but like, yeah, there's like, there's no, there's not a hard and fast line. And I think that's part of what some men feel vulnerable about. It's like, well, this is the way I've made sense of life. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I fit into this new picture where there is a lot of change? And it's like, if you're hard and stoic and like, you think you're doing all the things that you need to do as a man and you're working hard and you're, you know, X, Y, and Z, but then you're not satisfied. You're not happy. uh, Maybe you're not even successful in the way that you want to be. And then you're like, well, what the heck? Like, I'm doing all the things I was told to do, and there's just a missing piece where it's like, no, actually, the superpower in twenty, in 2023, in the 2020s yeah. is like being able to connect with people, being able to be open, to share, to mm-hmm. communicate, and listen, right? Yeah, and listen, yeah, definitely. And those those things are just undertrained and underappreciated. And I think mm-hmm. we're at a turning point where those things are those things are altering,
0: or we're going in the right direction at least, definitely. We're,
1: I hope, this I mean, is, I would hope this is, we this, are. you know, finger, yeah, Yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, so, okay. Well, in, in closing up here, <laughs> I do want to, cause I mean, anyone does a Google search of you or what you do, they're going to see a lot of naked pictures of you. So like, how do you sort of like describe yourself and would you describe yourself as a nudist?
1: Hmm. Nudist. I discovered nudism and naturism accidentally. Really? I was mm-hmm. living in Silicon Valley. My wife was working as an executive assistant in San Francisco and we, but we wanted to be close to nature. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just, I need to be out in the woods. I need to live out in the woods. So we lived two and a half hours from where she worked. Wow. And, um, we found this place, this naturist resort called lupin Lodge. Mm-hmm. And they had a cabin for rent and it was right above this little Creek. It was just like, oh, this is perfect. So we, we moved there and, and before we moved there, we realized, oh, it's a naturist resort. Okay. It means people are going to be naked. Clothing's optional on the property. Mm-hmm you know, it wasn't something we ever sought out, but it, it was something that we would be willing to embrace and work with and be a Mm -hmm. part of like, Oh, that's cool. Oh, we could suntan naked on the deck. Like it'll be cool. And then, you know, that led to me meeting Jason Wimberly and doing the Mm -hmm. naked trainers and then doing retreats and going through my own process of like, Oh my gosh, nudity is a super powerful healing modality because it forces you to face exactly what your body looks like, everything, the way it is and the way it isn't. And mm-hmm. like loving that. And then, so I use naturism and nudism as a healing modality mm. and as a part of the the value of the retreats. And especially socially, because you have to deal with all these social barriers, you know, things that you dealt with in the locker rooms as a kid, yeah. things that you were shamed about and you get to release and process all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily naked every single minute of every single day. I'm you are clothed kind of now dangerous. for the record. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it's important and it's, it's, it's amazing to get out in nature and get naked and mm-hmm. just be in your sort of primal state unplugged, yeah. it's very healing. It's very calming. It's just like, you know, in the insanity of everything that's going on in this world, in this country, you know, mm-hmm. we got an election coming up next year and there's no, there's not going to be an end to the the chaos and the yeah. noise of what's happening in our planet. So this is such an important way. It's one way mm-hmm. to unplug from the insanity and reconnect with yourself and find that sense of inner peace and calm and recalibrate so that you can face all the challenges of our modern age, staying Mm -hmm. calm and grounded and living a life that makes you proud as a a person. I think we could all use a little bit more
0: recalibrating, (laughs) you know, (laughs) definitely. So, okay, where can people
1: find you and the retreat and everything that you do? So there's the website and then I'll get to the social media in a second. The website is Wildmen.com. That's W Y L D Men.com. And we'll drop and it in then, the show notes for this episode as well. Okay, amazing. And uh, my Instagram is also at Wildmen, W Y L D M E N, and Twitter as well, W Y L D M E N. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Thomas Fairman. I really appreciate you doing this. H. Alan Scott, thank you. It's been a
0: pleasure. My second guest is Clayton Ferris, an actor and content creator and a good friend of mine. I wanted to chat with Clayton because of all my friends, he's certainly the one who partakes and understands alternative medicine the most. One of the things that I wanted to chat with Clayton about is how he uses things like hallucinogens to manage his anxiety and depression. But before that, I should warn you that we do talk about topics like depression, and anxiety, and suicide. I should also stress that Clayton is just sharing his personal experiences and opinions, and he is in no way a medical professional or expert. Clayton Ferris, hello. How are you? Hi. So I should say before we even get started that you and I have been friends for many years, personal friends, so we know each other very well. And I, when I thought of this episode and I thought of sort of like self-care la hollywood sort of new not new age i hate saying new age but that seems to be the only appropriate word sort of new age approach to sort of how we take care of ourselves both literally in terms of our health but also in terms of our brains and our bodies and all of the things you are pretty well rounded when it comes to self-care particularly because of the quiet quitting viral moment in which you experienced right wouldn't you wouldn't you agree with that
2: yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I've become kind of like a, a few times like a spokesperson for for this sort of stuff. Like people come to L.A. and as soon as they get here, they start looking for ways to fix themselves. Yeah. Yes. You know, like yes. we we all share this thing in common here that we think there's something wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole business built on that. But, you know, the truth is we have to accept the fact that maybe nothing's wrong with us.
0: (laughs) Well, that's just it.
2: That's just it. That's
0: because I come at it in in a I don't know. I'm never I wouldn't say I'm a cynic because I definitely partake in a lot of the things that are very sort of like, you know, to better ourselves. But I'm also one of those people that I'm just like, if there's a drug for it, I want it. I don't care. I don't want to go through the whole process of going into the woods and like doing ayahuasca and getting in touch with like my inner child, I'll just go to therapy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about ayahuasca or any of that. So there's a, there's a part of me that is the cranky Jew from New York who doesn't want to partake in any of these things. And I look at something like quiet quitting and I'm like, well, that just seems like another way of describing something you don't want to actually talk more about. You know what I mean? Like that just seems like another way of hiding something that you're probably just too embarrassed to actually admit. That's where my brain goes.
2: Yeah. And I think when I kind of became the face of quiet quitting for a moment, it was it was a little bit silly because I don't have a traditional job. I don't work at like an office. You're an actor and
0: a content creator.
2: I'm an actor, writer, content creator. And I mean, I think I do have a job for sure. Like that is a job. But in the way that we as like society experience quiet quitting, it was more about people quietly quitting all the stress that they were the over exertion they were giving to their like bosses mm-hmm. or employers or corporations. And I just took it for kind of like the freelancers like myself yeah. and, and, uh, you know, let ourselves off the hook when it came to, all that stuff like not being so hard on myself as a freelancer that was the idea that i kind of talked about and a lot of people like related to it i think do you i mean so part of me and this is again the
0: cynic in me so just ride with me with this one for a second i've often joked that people who are so obsessed with like astrology and they ask you like what your astrological sign are it's just a replacement for somebody without a personality so they use these things in order to like give themselves some sort of personality so they can communicate. And I think the same thing whenever people say, oh, I'm so stressed or I'm so busy that sometimes I'm like, you're just adopting stress as a personality because you're actually kind of boring and you're afraid of coming off as boring. And right, like, how do you think that we're actually stressed or maybe we're just really bad at sort of managing our own lives because we don't do things because the job force is so non-traditional these days. And like the, the, the conformity of sort of the sixties, seventies, eighties of sort of like you have your nine to five and then you do, you go home and the structure is different now. Do you think that we just don't know how to handle all of the stress?
2: I mean, that's hard to say really, because I think it's like, you know, it's just individual. Yeah. I think for me, and all the different like things that I have to do become extra stressful because I live in an ADD, yeah. ADHD world where I'm obsessed with my phone. I have a thousand things going on in my head. So, you know, I can't, I, I've set myself up in that sort of world where it's hard for me to focus and it's hard for me to just do one task. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are, we're so hungry and we're so what's the word we want, we want to succeed. We want yeah. to be the best. We want to be whatever that we, no one's just comfortable being themselves or no one's comfortable just like with basic necessity or even like basic happiness isn't enough for people yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> because we think because of the internet, we think that there's more and that everyone else is experiencing more of it and we don't have it. So we're missing something. Yeah. So we're like, I'm just going to put all my energy and time into finding that thing I'm missing. And the reminder, and I just had a conversation with a friend today is like, we're not missing anything. This is life. This is the experience. Mm-hmm it is what it is. It's not better or worse. It like is what it is. And if we don't appreciate it now, it's never going to get better. But again, I'm just a dude. I don't know. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And that's sort of something that that was a question I had for you. Like, do you think that this like constant search for like mental health, well-being is really just a means of just sort of like, like, like what you said, just sort of not, not accepting that this is just life. This is just a part of life. And we're so eager to like, be better or like to grow or to hit a, hit a goal or to hit a thing or to have a legacy remembered or whatever it is. Like, I just think back to Andy Warhol saying in the future, everyone will have their 15 minutes of fame. And I feel like everyone is just so desperate for that. And they won't sort of just be happy with the little bit that they may have had, or maybe they're not even valuing the little bit of work and
2: amazing things that they've done that they're like, I got to do more. I got to do more. Yeah, I mean, my hunch is that it's like we're obsessed with like the drive or like the search for happiness or the search for like whatever we're searching for something that does exist, but it actually exists like in the present moment. It doesn't exist in the future. Yeah. So like we like I I think that's true, and I I, I mean for me it's like. I I'm the same way. I'm like, what vitamins am I going to take today to make yeah. me happy? What, yeah. what like tincture am I going to pour in my coffee? What am I going to find at air One That's going to make me happy. Yeah. And I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but when I'm doing it right and when I'm feeling good, it's never about those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is it about when you're feeling right? I mean, it's just about like, acknowledging that I enjoy what I have, that I'm lucky Mm -hmm. to be where I'm at, that I'm like, you know, like, I, I don't know. I think that no matter where we're at, we all have things to be grateful for. And it sounds so cheesy. It does. It really does. But you're so right. I mean, one of
0: the things that I learned, and I hate to be this person dropping the whole cancer chemo card, but after chemo, one of the things that I learned real quick was that like, I have zero control over anything. I can control nothing, not even what happens to my body or is like, there are very few things within inside of my body that I can actually control other than what I put into it and how I take care of it. So outside of that, everything in life is just sort of like, a shit show and I just have to respond to it in the funniest way possible because that's literally all I can do. So like whatever I can buy at year I can, I can max out a credit card at year It's still not going to fix or, or, you know, help anything that's going to possibly go wrong. If I get cancer, there's no juice at year that will help me with cancer. So like, it's sort of a freeing mentality in a way. And that's why I think I am such a cynical person when it comes to sort of like, New age or like different alternatives to how we medicate but also like help help ourselves
2: in our heads and our bodies. you know what I mean? Yeah and I love that when you say new age it sounds like so old-fashioned but it's not
0: I know, but I don't even mean it because there literally is to me there's it's it's like undefinable the moment we're in because like like even with ozympic, like I'm on ozympic and I' I'm on that Hollywood craze of the ozympic, but it's also like I also need it medically so it's sort of like in this weird, middle space of like, am I a part of the new age Hollywood problem because I'm taking this direction or am I actually doing something very healthy for my body? I think I'm trusting science and doctors and doing something very healthy with my body, but, and I'm not necessarily even doing it for vanity, but at the same time, I also feel like a complete schmuck because I'm the other person who's like everybody else in Hollywood on fucking Ozempic.
2: So like, well i'm not an (laughs) ozempic but you don't even need to be (laughs) but but if you like but if that's gonna make you feel good and make you get to a place where you can like be more happy with what you have like because the truth of the matter is is like you can take Ozempic and lose a bunch of weight but all that's changed is like your weight or whatever it's not like it you still have the you know like not much has changed i'm still gonna be a cynical fuck I'm still going yeah, okay. to be cynical yeah. and like, that's going to maybe play into like your day to day, as opposed to like, if you're a happy person, like, yeah. look, I mean, I'm, I'm cliche in the fact that I went to the desert and did like a bunch of psilocybin mushrooms with a guide. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. How much did you pay for that too? That's what, that's what I really want to
0: know. I always want to ask that when people do those things,
2: you want to know the truth.
0: Yeah.
2: It was $1,500, $1,500. Yes. Wow. I mean, but it was, it was worth it. I bet. What's that? It was worth it, right? Yeah, it was totally worth it. I mean, I think it was worth it. And it um, it was a private experience. It was one-on-one. Yeah. I spent the night at this place. So it's like, it, it, in hindsight it it's not that much money, but like, it, I mean, it's a lot of money, but it wasn't like it, it was worth it to me. Yeah. And but the first thing that I appreciated after I did that was the fact that I could be like It made me more open to like the silliness of like, you know, thinking about astrology or thinking about the magic of the world or like the fact that like maybe things do happen for a reason. And even if they don't, like if that's our mentality, it actually really helps you. And it actually like it it just opened me up to being kind of like spiritual in that way. Mm -hmm. And that, that was like very useful for me. Yeah. And so
0: yeah. what what was the experience like and if you could explain a little bit and just to you know be completely transparent you are not a medical professional you are not a doctor you have no background in medical so anything we talk about here is purely just your experience so what can you describe the experience of sort of microdosing and sort of the the whole mushroom what you did in the desert
2: so the desert, so there, what I did in the desert was a macro dose. And then what I kind of do day to day to help me just like cope with life yeah. is micro dosing. Okay. So is there one that you want to hear? I want to hear about, about both. So let's start with
0: macro dosing and then yeah. how it's, how it's sort of gotten into your life, everyday life.
2: So, I mean, like I was at a place where I was having extreme and, you know, this as my friend, I was having extreme. I get can get to a place where I like get really depressed, mm-hmm. have extreme anxiety and racing thoughts. And I kind of get stuck on things like a little variation of OCD. Yeah. And it's not like it. It's, it doesn't really correlate with my life. It, my life could be going great and going the same as it was yesterday, but sometimes something will just take me down. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of, and this was during COVID, obviously, so a lot of us were like depressed and going through it. But I really felt I needed something to, to break that pattern. And after reading and watching all I could on people doing these psychedelic journeys, I was like, that sounds like the right thing for me. Yeah. And keep in mind, it took me like two years to find the right person and to actually go through with it. You know, it wasn't something I did willy nilly overnight. Yeah. And out of talking to friends that I respect and people that have done this themselves, I ended up finding a guide. And keep in mind, again, this guide is a therapist. Yes, but not a medical professional. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you're taking like a chance there. But I I, I go I went to the, the the desert. I go to this person's house. It's like a normal therapy office. What was it's the a, house a, like? What was the house like? The house was just like a normal, it was like a normal front house, okay. but the grounds were very beautiful. They had like oh. um, a garden with like San Pedro and there's like canopies oh. and like ouches. Like, like it's set up to be like a nice it's experience. Like, it's like, like what food. you would
0: imagine Laura Dern to live at. Like that's sort of
2: what I, yeah exactly but a little more hippie okay (laughs) (laughs) and and like that was the outside and then the back room what it's just like a it's a like a separate house there's all these little bungalows that you stay in yeah you have your own little place that has a bed and a shower and then the back room is the guide's office and it looks like a it looks like you know like a classic uh nice uh therapy office with Mm. a nice couch a lot of bookshelves some growing pains Yeah, absolutely. But again, a little more hippie. Like on the wall, there's like stuff from like Indian tribes and like all you know, all this different whatever. And my therapist was a white lady. Let's just say that. Okay. And but she, you know, and she wore a lot of linens,
0: as you would expect. Again, you're really, (laughs) you're really just describing Laura Dern here. I'm just, (laughs) I don't know what it's a character from Laura Dern.
2: Go ahead. But you give you do like an intake where you kind of like talk about what you want to work on, and, and it's like you talk about your issues, all that stuff. And then, then, you know, she brings out the medicine, if you will, and it's psilocybin mushrooms and you kind of talk to the medicine. She stages you, you drink that you drink it and you put on an eye mask. You lay on this, like this, like kind of like bed that's on the ground. Yeah. The bunch of pillows. It's very comfortable. And then you just go and do this like journey. What happens to
0: you? Like what, what happened to you?
2: So you're doing five grams. That's what a heroic dose is. So like, that's not like a recreation, like no one just casually does five grams of mushrooms. Yeah. It's like a very, it's a it's high a dose. Lot. Yeah. But it's a super macro, they call it the heroic dose. And you, you, everyone has their own experience. You know, mine was very, um, very deep in terms, because I was dealing with the anxiety stuff. Yeah. So like my anxiety was there present as I was going through this journey. And, you you know, I had what you call an ego death Mm -hmm. where like everything, you know, about yourself as like a living person in this world kind of disappears and drifts away from you. So all the Mm -hmm. things you're attached to, like your career, your family, your partner, whatever, all of that stuff sort of drifts away as you're thinking about trying to think about them, you know, and you're kind of go to this place where you're nothing. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's really hard to explain. Yeah. And it was scary. And the reason you do it with a guide is you can go kind of like, what am I doing? What, what, what am I? And then someone's there to go. You took a high dose of mushrooms. You'll be back soon. How long does it last? It was about six hours. Oh, wow. So you're in this high for like six hours. And
0: then what happens after you come down from the high?
2: So when you come down, so that, so the trip itself was not very enjoyable. The trip itself was kind of like, scary yeah. and, and freaky and brought up a lot. And I came, I came down back to earth and I'm like, Oh, I, I, I came out of it and I had this little weird issue where I was, I kind of was, and I, I want to be careful when I say this, because I know that this can like worry people, but it it's not worrisome in the end. But basically I kind of was hearing a voice in my head. And when I say a voice in my head, it was similar to kind of like, just when you're thinking in your head or like that sort of thing, it wasn't like someone that was like, go kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It was just kind of like, I I was hearing this thing in my head, but it was speaking a little bit of gibberish, you know, like speaking English words, but not making sense. And slowly I realized over the next day or two that like the voice that I was hearing was kind of my OCD anxiety voice. Mm. And it had been literally scrambled to where it wasn't making sense. Yeah. And so that part of me that was like, you know, would rise up at certain times to be like, you're a loser. You should kill yourself. You know, all those sorts of thoughts you have yeah, or kind of literally just disappeared. So when I went to the, the uh, back to the habit of like trying to listen to that, yeah, it was speaking just gibberish. So it didn't serve me any purpose mm. anymore. So literally for the next probably eight months, I was profoundly Changed when it came to how I treated myself, how I thought about myself, how I thought about others. I mean, I can't. What happened at say, the eight
0: months after eight months?
2: I mean, it's just like the anxiety kind of stirs up a bit. Like, yeah, there's been some times recently where, when triggered, I'll be I'll be back into like a really anxious space. Yeah, but even that, knowing what it feels like to not have that it's way easier to control my my anxiety or my depression yeah. or getting, I can stay above it. I don't get stuck there. It's kind and of like I what I was this. saying
0: about uh, my reaction after chemo and just realizing you have no control. And it's a, I mean, it is kind of a, when you go through something yours is, you know, self-induced, but when you go through something in terms of going through the, the whole experience of, of macro dosing and all of that, when you go through something sort of that intense, it changes how you react then to the things that gave you stress beforehand the things that like for me, it was always saying yes to everything. I was always going, I was always taking every opportunity. I was always on the go, always very, I had hundreds of friends and then I always joke now after chemo, I'm always like, I say no to everything. Like I have no problem saying no to literally most things in my life and keeping my friend circle pretty tight and close. And so I can see that being a relatable thing that how you respond to your anxiety after the months of sort of after the experience, maybe is maybe a little bit different and possibly even more healthy now.
2: Yeah. And I think like for you, like if you said no to a friend or no to like a project or something, it's you say no, isn't the problem. The problem is the anxiety for you that comes up after you say no, like, oh, my God, they're going to hate me. This is going to affect my career. I'm never Mm going to whatever those. That's the issue there. Mm -hmm. And it was like, surprisingly or interestingly enough, literally two days after I did this, maybe three days, I, I got tested because my mom surprised me to say she's coming in town. Mm -hmm. And as you all know, as a lot of us know, our parents can kind of like stir some things up with us. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I was able to have this like amazing, you know, weekend with my mother. And it's also the same time that I posted this quiet quitting video that went viral and like opened up all this like weird stuff for me. So it's just it was just like a weird experience. And it all kind of like, you know, really opened up a lot and and changed a lot for me. I got way more creative. I'm not going to say I got more creative. I was able to focus on my creativity easier than I was before because I wasn't giving so much energy and time to my anxiety and my like thoughts and depression and all that stuff. Yeah.
0: So how do you, well, first off, how do you microdose now? And if you can explain that a little bit, but then also, cause I, I don't know if you've ever previously relied on any sort of like prescription medications for anxiety or depression. Do you, yeah. do
2: you still now, do you find them beneficial if so? So I was diagnosed I I was a candidate for uh, antidepressant. Let's just say that. And I took it and I did not have a good experience with it. I didn't like the way it made me feel. So I stopped taking it. So again, not a doctor. Yes. I think it's in this. We have to think of this in the same realm as like you taking like some St. John's wort or something like that. It's like, what are the other natural alternatives? Mm -hmm. And I just find that the microdosing thing which you know they're doing research on now but it's it's taking a very small dose of psilocybin uh maybe every other day every couple of days but take making sure you take a few days off just it, it, i think that it works the same way as for me what it does is it just takes that edge off yeah. and 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 for me it's like all about the anxiety and like that sort of thing it's like i'm not just taking it to party i'm not taking it to like go you know out and like drink or whatever i'm taking it as a way like because you'll like i took one this morning and then i went and shot some content yeah and and it doesn't affect you in the way that you think it would it's like it just makes you uh personable and it opens you up and it keeps you grounded and it keeps you out of negativity and out of that place of like spinning yeah it's totally natural and it's it's on its way to becoming legal like i don't I don't like pod. I don't like marijuana. I don't like any drugs. I don't do drugs. I drink every now and then, but something about the microdosing just really helps me. That's great. And I think that it's like for a certain type of person with a certain, certain type of mind, I think it's very, very beneficial. Some might say a beautiful mind.
0: You get that. He probably could have benefited maybe from that. Okay. Um, But Clayton, this has been so great to chat with you. Where can people follow the very funny content you post on Instagram
1: often.
2: Yeah. Just follow me at Clayton Ferris, Ferris with an F-A-R-R-I-S. And there you will see me and actually making fun of all this stuff. Yeah. Making fun of Erwan and making fun of like all the things we do to try to fix ourselves. And
0: that's the part <laughs> of you I love most. Cause if you can make fun of it, then you know, that's just the best part of everything, right? Laugh at yourself. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, you've heard it all now. What's the Hollywood health fad that you are obsessed with? Let me know. I'm H. Allen Scott on everything. And I'll also leave links to Thomas Fairman and Clayton Ferris in this episode's show notes. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. I hope you're able to leave a little rating and review, you know, wherever you're listening. And subscribe to my newsletter, For the Culture. It's lots of fun. Just go to Newsweek.com. You'll find it there. It's great. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day.